We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. First podcast of 2022 and you have myself, Alex Hurst, Charlotte Robson and Norman Riley. And what we're going to do is talk about what we want to see from Newcastle United in 2022. We're going to be fairly specific with what we talk about because the obvious answer is to win some games and <laughs> stay in this Premier League. But also we're going to talk about how we think Eddie Howe and the football club should build from here, particularly with the squad. It's January. There are two massive transfer windows in the history of this football club coming up. Um, and then we're, we're going to talk a little bit about what we want to see in terms of direction from the club and kind of the principles that guide it from here. Norman, let's kick straight off with you, mate. You um, mean you've had some conversations about this. You're very keen that Newcastle United stay away from a certain type of signing and a certain type of player. Can you talk us through that? So look, the situation we're in right now, if, for example, the what seem to be ludicrous rumours of um, Aubameyang coming in are actually, you know, there's some substance to them. Do I think that Aubameyang would improve Newcastle United? Well, of course I would. Of course I do, right? He's, he's a world-class striker who's got a fantastic uh, goals record. You can see he struggled for the last couple of years. He's not been as prolific as he has been throughout his career. But on, uh, but short term, of course, he would help out massively right now. But ultimately, players who have already earned gigantic sums of money, who have you know achieved maybe a lot in the game already, who's maybe ambitions being tempted ever so slightly by the fact that they have achieved so much and they have earned so much. They're the kind of players that I don't know whether it's what will be beneficial to Newcastle United. So what I've been doing is I've been looking looking at the, you know, the, the, the histories of Chelsea and Man City, two other clubs who went through big takeovers. Obviously, Abramovich was the game changer initially, right, back in the mid-noughties. And if you look at that squad that Mourinho inherited... A decent squad, right? Absolutely. Ranieri brought in some decent players the season prior. But they bring in Mourinho, who just won the European Cup and the UEFA Cup the season before that. And you look at the players that he brought in that pre-season. Bear in mind, this team went on to win two consecutive titles, right? Or four or five, or five, or six. You look at the players that he brought in, right? So he brings in Peter Cech from Rennes, 7 million. He brings in Arjen Robin from the Dutch League, PSV. Brings in Didier Drogba from the French League. You now, look, Drogba was obviously a well-established footballer, uh, highly highly thought of. He just basically dragged Marseille to the Euro, uh, UEFA Cup final, beating Newcastle, obviously, 2-0 in the semis. Two goals from Drogba himself. But he brought in Ricardo Carvalho from the Portuguese League. So, Paulo Ferreira. So, the, these four signings um, from Porto as well, these four signings, brilliant as they were in terms of their the playing ability. These were players who had 
who were kind of at the, you know, either at the start of their careers or they were moving up, they were moving up a league, you know, they were coming from leagues that weren't quite as prestigious as the Premier League, they were moving to a, a league where they were going to get the biggest peer packets of their lives, going to get the most, I guess, attention and fame of their lives. So it was almost like they were arriving with, with a lot to prove still, a lot to prove in the Premier League specifically. Hungry is what I would say they were, right? And obviously they all went on to have fantastic careers at Chelsea. They're the kind of players that I, 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 like, I like us, to, you know, I would like to see us sign. And then you, you look at Man City and how they built it. So Chelsea, it was almost instant, right? They brought in the best manager. They went out and got very good players. They won the league. They were, they were kind of an anomaly, right? Because ultimately nobody was spending like Chelsea was back then. Um, you look at Man City, though, they take over, which I suppose parallels ours in many respects, given, you know, given where the wealth's coming from to a certain extent. They constructed their squad over the course of a few seasons, right? And you look at that team that won the title for them the first time, 11-12. Look at some of the players that come in, right? 08 or 9. Company comes in, 08 or 9. De Jong comes in, 08 or 9. Zabaleta, right? These three come in for uh, under, under 30 million, these three players, right? These become fundamental players to Man City. But over the course of three, four, five, they opened six seasons for company, actually, seven seasons. The following season, pre season, they bring in Gareth Barry, Carlos Tevez, Colo Touria. The following season, 10 11, this is, by the way. They haven't won anything yet. Um, they bring in Yaya. David Silva, Gael Clichy, and then 11 12, they bring in Sergio Aguero and Nasri. So they're constructing the squad. There were obviously other signings around that, right? Who maybe weren't successful. Big signings like Robinho, Arabayo didn't necessarily work out the way they anticipated. But that squad, it took them a while to construct. They were, they were careful in who they brought in. If I, I don't know if I'm remembering who the chief exec was, possibly Brian Marwood. I might, I might be wrong there, but obviously had somebody operating, like a, DU, a DUF, who did their due diligence, did their scouting, brought in these players who, who, were, who were hungry for success. Um, and, and that's what I think is they kind of laid the, the template and the groundwork for, the, for their success. They haven't gone out and just spent, and nor did Chelsea gone out and spent loads of money on like ridiculously big signings who have already won multiple trophies. That's what I want to see us sign hungry players who, who feel like they've still got loads to, loads to prove and who still want to, I guess justify the massive pay packets, right? Um, and just finally, in terms of the the players ultimately that we do have coming through, it, it, for me, the academy development is really important. You, you look at Chelsea, I could list, you know, 10 players off the top of my head in terms of who they've eventually brought through. So Bramwich comes in, they're bringing these players who are hungry, want to prove themselves and also invest in the academy. And it's it's a it's a plan for long-term success. That's what I want to see from Newcastle United. Um, but right now, obviously, we're in a relegation battle. So I'll take Aaron Ramsey and Obama Young. Thanks ever so much. But Kieran Trippier, for example, sorry, just quickly, Zabaleta came into Man City, right? Kind of maybe late 20s, perhaps, a similar age to Trippier. Now, Trippier's just turned 31, but he could be that, that that kind of player, right? Trippier comes in, you think there's, you get three to four seasons out of somebody who becomes a part of the fabric of the club. And he's the kind of, he's almost like the, the kind of the first brick that's laid towards this, this kind of success that we're trying to build gradually. I, I totally agree, Norman. I think that kind of, slightly older still extremely skilled still excellent footballer who maybe wants to come back to the UK like Kieran Trippier seems to it is as you say this sort of brick this foundational sort of signing and foundational kind of addition to our team that we need to start building we you know we're not going to get anywhere if we just go wild and spend a crazy amount of money on sort of marquee signings that then don't mesh, that we've then not, you know, integrated into the team because we're not going to buy 11 new players, are we? Like, just not going to. So that considered that 
foundational sort of approach to building out the team is is exactly what we need to be doing. Totally agree with 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 both points. Normally, you've laid it out very clearly there in terms of those examples of two teams who did get it right. There are teams who got it wrong as well. Maybe we'll touch on them in a little bit too. But Charlotte, your point there, and you know when you mentioned Kieran Tripp here and Charlotte, you talked about players you can build on. What you know, there's two parts. This isn't there. There's we have to stay in the Premier League. And I'm talking about two massive transfer windows because if we were to be relegated, of course, then that summer transfer window is absolutely huge. But if we stay up, uh, I'll phrase it a different way. People sometimes say to me, and this was kind of before Burnley or after we lost to Liverpool or people like that on, on, in the YouTube comments or on Twitter or whatever, say, oh, well, if we go down, it's not so bad. We'll come back up, we'll have loads of money, we'll win loads of games. And it's like, yeah, maybe, probably, in fact, but it's 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 then the following two seasons that scare me because when you come back up, you're limited by what you can spend and who will who will come. Your first season is all about finishing seventeenth, and you could do a Wolves and you could finish seventh, and you could finish twelfth, and you or you could do a Rafa Benitez and finish tenth, and that's fine. And then the following season after that, you consolidate so that hopefully you don't have a rele- relegation battle. Fuck that! Like those two seasons, we've we've done that too recently, and in fact, we've done those two seasons in the last decade. They're the two seasons, as much as being in the championship, I'm desperate to avoid. Therefore, you have to plan to stay up, and I think they are planning to stay up in terms of the players that they're bringing in. You know, Newcastle, we sit here recording this, Newcastle have won one out of their 19 Premier League games, but they're like two points from safety. Um, so it, it, it's it's certainly, uh, I'd say, a good probability that Newcastle stay up. And therefore, this window builds into the next one, and the things that both of you have said completely, completely make sense because... You can't just sign five or six players now just to keep you up. A, the mathematics don't make sense because you're going to be paying a lot of money anyway. You're going to have players coming into the dressing room. And, and, and this is one of the key points maybe I'll, I'll talk about now. The dressing room dynamic of, of all of this is very, very important. So when fans or journalists or whoever talk about players like Aaron Ramsey or... Aubameyang or any other kind of or Ginny Wijnaldum or people like that who I'd love to sign all three you have to think about how Eddie Howe makes that work in the dressing room mm. because if if at the minute I think Callum Wilson's Newcastle's best paid player I don't know the specifics I imagine it's somewhere close to or north of £100,000 a week Alison Maximan is just behind him if you bring players on that command double that that wage and you bring in several of them I'd, I've not been in a football dressing room but I do believe that Things change, you know. Newcastle, you know, it's a favourite at the minute. People say, oh, "Just get rid of Lascelles, captain. Get rid of him. Drop him as captain." It doesn't work like that, you know. Yeah. If Lascelles is the leader of the dressing room, Lascelles is the, the 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 player players look up to, the 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 player who might organise things away from the pitch, who might take responsibility for social occasions. To just hang a captain out to dry like that and say, "Oh, give it Kieran Trippier, give it Ginny Wijnaldum," even though these two players don't play for us yet. I just think that it's like like you said, Charlotte. It's actually really important that you, if yes, if Newcastle wants to start buying players at that level and calibre in terms of that wage structure, fine. Very difficult to do that in what seems like a currently United dressing room. And in looking at the lower end of the spectrum, I don't know how much Fabian shares on, but it won't be a fortune. Mm. But it won't be a fortune. It, it won't be anything near anything like that. What about a player who who plays fairly regularly like Isaac Hayden? Um, you know, how how is he going to um, compete with a guy who's on five times his salary? So I think this window is really important that they're bringing the right players, they're bringing quality, but they can't upset the dressing room balance. Normally, you want to make a point. Totally agree with what you say there. I guess the issue, the difficulty might be that 
because we're in a relegation battle, in order to get players through the door to be signing players, you know, of the quality that we need to stay up, they're going to have to be offered probably quite fat contracts to even sign in the first place, right? And obviously, you also got to factor in that these players' agents will know that Newcastle United are going to be seen as a, you know, as a cash cow for a long time. So, striking that balance is absolutely spot on, but also it's going to be very, very difficult. And it, it puts a lot of, it's putting a lot of pressure on Helm in a very short space of time, right? However, what I would say is, you know, what we're talking about building gradually, right? Building gradually um, in, in laying kind of foundations now and, and getting the success that we all hope. Everyone wants to win trophies like, like tomorrow, but obviously, you know, it, we know that it's going to be difficult to break the, the kind of current stranglehold of the top three. So it, it's going to be a case of being patient, right? As I say, like, like Man City, perhaps. But yeah, I look at someone like Everton, and that's the model of not of what not to follow, right? So they spent a lot of money on players who had pretty much... We'll say, Everton was a step down for them, almost, right? I mean, you know, you could argue Hishalison from Watford is a step up, but ultimately he saw that as a step up to move on to something else as well. You know, we want to be signing players who've not only seen Newcastle as a step up, but see Newcastle United as their future as well, not not a, not a, another step in their career. And Benitez was really interesting yesterday after the game against Brighton. He was interviewed and he said, he was talking about transfers and he said it's going to be very difficult. He said, but what we need to do is bring in players who who can train and are determined at the same level as they were a couple of years ago. So that, to me, suggests that Benitez is kind of referring backhanded to the type of players that Everton brought in who have come into Everton, sort of as a fat payday, aren't really putting in the effort that they would put in three years ago or whatever it was. And it just got me thinking that, you know, we... James Rodriguez, for example, a wonderful footballer, wonderful footballer, right? But obviously, he's gone from Real Madrid to Everton and you have to think, well, you know, Rafa's com com completely ostracised and you think to yourself, well, would James Rodriguez improve Newcastle United squad? Of course he would. But is James, James Rodriguez, for example, the kind of player that we want to be bringing, bringing in if we're looking to to kind of lay a template for long-term success? So it is, it's really important. Don't follow the Everton example, I guess, is the, is the motto there. That can just be it. That that's what I'm hoping for Newcastle for the, for 2022. Just don't do what Everton did. I think um, I, I I think on a skill level, someone like James Rodriguez, yes, would would help Newcastle. But you are right, Alex. You have to just you have to find this balance in the dressing room. I I don't think that's down to how. I think that's down to like management of the entire club. Um, of of messaging to the current players. I think it can be done. And I think Norman's right. It is inevitable that we're going to bring in players who are going to be on much fatter pay packets than our existing players. You just have to position that well. And being HR now, you have to <laughs> position that well with the existing players. Say, look, if we get out of the relegation zone, we have these bon we have this pool for bonuses. You can have like we we will renegotiate your own contracts. We'll do X, Y, and Z. You just have to. We just have to work with what we've got for now. I think it's a brilliant point because, like you say, it normally, like you say, it could be very, very difficult, and I agree, and it will be. But also, it can be. If you have changed the wage, wage structure of the whole football club, and it was very clear, you know, Mike Ashley and Nichon were very clear about the wage structure. If the wage structure has now changed, and there's a lot of these players out of contract as well in the summer, they now have, apart from keeping Newcastle United up, which you'd always hope would be motivation enough, but these are, you know, individuals with financial goals and they only get one short career. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can say, well, I want to earn a new contract at this football club because a new contract at this football club, whatever position you play, whatever part of the pitch is now worth three times what it was worth last summer if we're staying in the Premier League. So I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. It makes me feel a little bit more positive about when we bring in all these brilliant players 
And um, I don't know, Paul Dummett takes a hook because he's on like <laughs> 100 grand a week less than whoever he's up against in the team for, for a similar performance, Norman. We also have to factor in, I think we did a appearing podcast with um, Kate, a Man City fan, and we spoke about the takeover and she said, when Man City started splashing the cash away to a nine, you obviously had players coming in for, you know, two, three, four times the money that the players that were already there were on. But what the impression that she got was is that some of the players were already there who knew they were only going to be, you know, short term because things were changing. But they were at the start of this like journey and they had a role to play at the start of this massive journey that Man City were going on. And that almost seemed to come across as a form of inspiration. You know, like someone like, I don't know, John Joe Shelby or Matt Ritchie, players that we assume aren't going to be in two years' time in Newcastle, right? They're here right now and they've got a chance to contribute to what could ultimately be an incredible future for Newcastle United. So you like to think that that professionalism and that desire to be part of something, even if it's a tiny part of something, by keeping Newcastle United up, right? That's, that's the first achievement of the new ownership, right? So keeping Newcastle United up is a huge achievement. It's the first, it's it's the, it's what sets you on the path to, to success ultimately, right? We need to stay up. And those players who are here right now, who aren't on the money that, you know, the, the new players coming in might be on, who aren't going to be part of the long-term future of the club, but they still have a, a role to play, a really important role to play. And, and that may itself act as a motiv motivating factor. You'd, you'd like to think it would. They've got, they've got a chance to be a part of history, right? Absolutely. And, and you know what? We can look at our own history, can't we, Norman? Um, about what not to do. It's not just don't be evident. It's don't be Newcastle United under Graham Souness and Freddie Shepard at the end of that tenure when you buy players like Albert Luque, uh, Michael Owen. There'll be more of them. Uh, Emre, who in theory, all improved the first team quite significantly. But it created this kind of toxic workplace where there was a lot of players who didn't put the effort in, a lot of players didn't want to be there. And it all goes very, very south very quickly. What we have had, in fact, even under Bruce, is a pretty united dressing room ever since promotion back in 17. That's quite a special thing to have. It's not easy to create. You know, like you're saying, Benitez now at Everton is, is, is trying to work through this situation where you've got, like, the crowd aren't happy. You're kind of close to the relegation zone because fixtures uh, results are really bad but you're not quite there you're trying to keep players happy you're trying to bring new players in you're trying to you know sort out contractual situations toxic dressing room becomes very very difficult look at Watford now with um Saar and Dennis both of their football associations saying that Watford are trying to keep them away from the African Cup of Nations which is like yeah you want those players to play those three games particularly at Newcastle United in two weeks time but also, what does that do to the dressing room? What does that do to that situation? So Newcastle have got that, you know, the, the scenes that we talk about, the scenes at the end of Burnley, even at the end of um, Norwich and Man United. There's a lot of teams, and I've, I've said this a couple of times, Watford don't have that. Burnley don't have that. There's a lot of teams don't have that, and we do. So that's why it is so difficult to bring in the type of player. And, and listen, players um, like Kieran Trippi who come in, if he comes in on more money than anyone else, I think people look and think, okay, you're an England international, uh, you've played at a World Cup, you played at Euros. You've you know you've done top you played, squad in Spain. At the yeah, moment. yeah. You play for a top team in the Champions League. Yeah. You've been to a Champions League final. That all makes a lot of sense, probably to footballers, and that carries a lot of weight. So it can be done, and I'm sure we need it to be done, and it will happen. But Norman, I mean, you're I've kind of stolen your point there about about the Sunas era. Um, and and is it you know anything else you want to add to that, mate? About anyone I've missed off from that? Any, any other way you felt about it in terms of today? The the Sooners era was, I think, an era that really settles back massively as a football club. I think Mike actually comes in and buys the club. Obviously, doesn't do his due diligence. Realizes that you know there's a lot more mess behind the scenes. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of sweeping under the carpet seemed to have taken place. 
And Graeme Souness, I think, as a manager, I was part of that. Look, he can ultimately, you can turn around and say, well, it was the board who sanctioned these moves, right? But we went out and signed, and I hate to use the word, but I'm going to use it, air quotes, mercenaries. I mean, they were coming to Newcastle for a big fat payday. Um, and fortunately, I feel with Eddie Howe in charge compared to Graeme Souness, that's not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right to bring up the Souness era, but I do believe that the new ownership and the new manager will not repeat any of those idiotic mistakes. Well said, we'll leave it there for part one of the show. We're going to play a couple of adverts now. If you don't want to listen to the adverts and you want to hear lots more of Norman, Charlotte and I, you can sign up to our Patreon platform, £6.60 a month for about 30 additional Newcastle United podcasts every single month. It's a huge month for Newcastle United, January 3 or 2. Massive league fixtures, two fixtures in the cup, but of course the January transfer window. We're all over that with two weekly transfer shows interviews with journalists and fans from players that we sign clubs from uh, to find out the most we can about these players before they kick a ball for Newcastle United. So come and join us on Patreon. Nearly 500 people have. We massively appreciate it. Uh, me, Charlotte and Norman, will be back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Part two of the True Faith podcast this week. Uh, I want to start off this part of the show talking about one of the things I think needs to change at Newcastle United in 2022, and that is a mentality change from, well, we have new owners with their own mentality. We, are, we need a mentality change from players, from staff, and from fans uh, let's starting with the the players at the minute. And I suppose the staff at the club. I don't know any staff at the club, but uh, I can only speculate about what they're like in terms of um, you know how they feel and the way that the club was before and after the takeover. To put it simply, to you, Charlotte and Norman, um, I think Newcastle United is a club that became comfortable with defeat. The previous manager didn't help with that. Uh, you know, standing after games, you know, both in lockdown and this season when the team had been comfortably beaten beaming, saying that the players did well, they deserve more, happy with the performance. Me and Norman were Aston Villa uh, when Newcastle were, were a disgrace. Um, and and then the manager comes out and talks about how happy he is with the performance and all that kind of stuff. 
that, that that's a club thing for that to be acceptable for that kind of behavior to manifest like that has got to change and if you look at clubs like Liverpool and Manchester City which let's not beat about the bush this is where Newcastle United want to be this is why they've been bought to compete at that level but even clubs like you know Arsenal and, and Spurs there's a real hatred of losing and hatred of defeat that I feel hasn't been there in this squad in particular have become accustomed to just not getting hammered it's all right if you go out there and you don't get embarrassed that's okay and it's not okay and that's why we find ourselves in the position that we're in Charlotte I was going to bring you in because I know that you feel that there's already been some progress in this measure yeah I do I agree with you I think that there is um an an acceptance of the the bare minimum of a of a okay it's the trick it's the trucking along what is it is that taking along it's it's that but I think our current squad firstly Eddie Howe I don't think it does accept losing so I think that's a good start I also don't think our new owners are particularly accepting of that um I also just um I think that the improvement in form um and the improvement on the pitch is seeing a, a massive massive um impro- I'm reluctant to say improvement of the fans but this it's it's a totally different atmosphere in St James's Park and at away games now and that is like a it's a contagious thing I can see the players I don't know if I'm just you know romanticizing it but I th- feel like I can see the players like oh this is what it could be like this is what it could be like more often oh we could we could bring the roof off this place by winning and and I think you can see it I think you can see it in Joe Linton I think you can see it in specific players but we're not totally there yet that you know you have to you have there has to be a sustained period of that feeling for it to then be like something you chase after but I I think I've seen it and I think I think that they're getting tastes of what it would be like to succeed and it's going to get better. I totally agree. Um, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of progress being made. Like, um, and I suppose to, to extend a little bit by what I mean, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully, we'll win a few games, we'll play well, we'll score some goals and we'll move at the table. I'm, I'm talking about something bigger than that in terms of like, at the minute, because of the league position arguably because of the quality of the squad and what we've done so far. Um, ultimately, we'll go to places like Liverpool and I'll sit here doing podcasts saying, like, well done, lads. Yeah. So I'm part of the problem. Um, and although I don't think I'm wrong in saying well done, lads, in that, in that situation, to move forward as a football club, like, defeat almost has to become unacceptable at every level because the under-23s are more often than not shit. The under-18s are shit. You know, this kind of, it's, it's like this, it's ingrained in the club over 14 years and beyond. I just think it's going to be such a, that's as big a challenge. And that, it counts for, you know, when new signings walk in, when new players walk through the door, at the minute, they see a training grounds and facilities that are almost certainly worse from where they've just come from. But what kind of culture do they walk into? The things we hear from Eddie Howe and the snippets we've seen of training look promising, like you say, Charlotte, mm-hmm. when he talks about, you, you train, we train like we play. Professional standards, people not turning up late, people not nicking off as soon as training's done. How making them dine together. Um, you know, these are professionals, these are colleagues that need to have a professional relationship at work beyond just turning up to training. Yeah, but it's not just colleagues, is it? Like, I have a cordial professional relationship with many of my colleagues, but I don't have to 
physically pass the ball to them on you know it's 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 totally different scale and it has to be nurtured that those relationships have to be nurtured and it is it is encouraging that they are being absolutely and i agree i agree with you that that how is the man to do it um i just think and you know to to talk about well i'll tell you what before we talk about fans normal i'll bring you in on this one mate you're both right there's a there's a losing culture there's a there's a culture of losing at newcastle united there's a a culture of bare minimum that's been there for a long time, right? Mike Ashley's era is defined by the losing culture, and this isn't something that will disappear overnight. It's going to take time. And again, Man City are the prime example here because Man City for years were a bit of a, a joke of a club. You know, it was the constant tears. Man City fans, they, you know, like it's typical City, typical City. You know, a bit like the kind of very Spursy along those kind of lines, right? And and as I say, it took Man City a good few years to construct a squad to win the title, to eradicate that losing culture and to become totally unaccepting of anything but the yeah, best. Typical City is what Typical City, what that's it. Yeah. yeah, typical City. And, you know, we, to a certain extent, as Newcastle fans, can go, oh, it's typical Newcastle. Typical Newcastle. Like, I, I, we've, done it, we've done it ourselves for years, right? Um, the words from how are always very, you know... Very, uh, I'm going to say indicative, even though I get pulled up on this by listeners all the time. <laughs> indicative of um, somebody who who wants to win, right? You know, you, you look at his post-match interviews, his pre-match interviews. He's always talking about improvement, improvement, learning from mistakes, um, and he's very much of that ilk of manager, uh, like like Gerard, for example, right? Gerard after Villa lost against Brentford, basically said like it's it's unacceptable from me, it's unacceptable from the players. I'm going to go, I'm going to go away work on this and make it better. And that's what we need to have, as you say, on every single level. Every time there's a there's a mistake, every time there's a defeat, every time something goes wrong, wanting to learn from it and wanting to make sure that it never happens again. And, and it's just, it, it isn't going to happen overnight because it takes a long time to to get rid of something that has been infused infused in the organisation for years. I agree, and it, it, it permeates every level. So, for example, commercial sponsorships recently have been at the bottom end of the Premier League. And it just, it just you know, the kits have looked cheap. The, the ground has looked worn. The training ground has looked unacceptable. Charlie, you hit the nail on the head before. It was the bare, like, it's a bare minimum of a football club. It's where doing the least you possibly can to scrape through at an acceptable standard. That's going to take a little bit of time to to get rid of that kind of culture change. You know, I've I've sat in, you know, support or engagement meetings and, you know, people at the club have said, you know, yeah, you're all of your com- you're all complaining about the straight the training on, but it's not the worst in the league. That's genuine that's a genuine quote that someone said to me. It's not the worst in the league. It's like, well that's not my point. That's never been my point. That's never that's not what fans are saying. Can we aspire to be more than just not the worst, more than you know, it, it, the, the the way the club was run, it's like, well, at least we're not Leeds, at least we're not Bradford City, at least we're not Sunderland. Well, that has to change. You know that 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 is a complete change. I mean, I mean, again, the person that said that Lee Chong's not at the club anymore, so you may, may have. All, I imagine it, all, it has already changed, but ultimately, in twenty twenty two, what I want to see from us is is more and more of that culture of of winning and great. Uh, example there, Norman, in terms of Stephen Gerrard, and, and, and you know he's a winner. The guy is a winner. He's gone to Aston Villa, and some people would say oh, Aston Villa they moved away from relegation zone, and they've had a tough period, and all of this, and they've got some players out, and he's gone there, and he, he is demanding 
he's demanding success from his players, and that that that's contagious, I think. And yeah, Newcastle United, Nelly Howe, and the owners were in a different position. You know where we are. You know, seventeenth this season would be a massive success, and there's no getting away from that. I also want to talk quickly just about fans as well. Um, I feel, I feel, you know, either of you pull me up here if you think I'm being hypercritical of our support at times. We have the best support in the world. But I do feel sometimes there's a there's a willingness to pass the book. You know, maybe it's just social media, but it's also the conversations I have with people as well. It's how you feel in the stands. You know, particularly, you know, look at the, the very poor refereeing, particularly towards Newcastle United. Shocking, really poor. I hate VAR, so that doesn't help. We didn't lose any of those games, though, because of the quality of refereeing. And it's almost like, I feel sometimes as a, as a support, we're like to take out frustrations on, on on areas that we can't actually influence rather than concentrate on just supporting the team. You know, so Manchester City, yes, it should have been a penalty to Ryan Fraser. It's not why Newcastle lost the game, though. It's not why Newcastle lost the game. And I just feel sometimes we have this, you know, maybe, again, it's it's a byproduct of the Ashley era and it's the byproduct of all the bullshit we put up in the national media people attacking the club, people attacking the fan base, and maybe, you know, having that kind of, I don't know what the right, thick skin in that kind of fuck everyone else mentality helps somewhat. But I also feel we deserve, Newcastle fans deserve, and I believe we've got the owners to do it, deserve better than much of what we've seen this season. So when, like, Graham Jones sets his team out against Chelsea and people are like, oh, you know, did well to keep them at nil-nil for 60 cents, look at Chelsea now. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not a great team. I thought, I think that was, Evident at the time, you know, I think the, I think the fact that Eddie Howe, you know, like I've said on podcasts before, Eddie Howe could have come in and he could have gone five at the back, let's get everyone behind the ball, let's capitulate in games, let's not try and get the ball back, let's try and play like we played but improve defensively, we might we might improve in some areas, we'll nick some points here and there. Eddie Howe said, no, nah, fuck this, we're going to try and win games and sometimes it looks really bad like it did against Manchester City, but then it looks very, very good like it did against Manchester United and that's what I feel... The fan base, and I think most fans are fully behind it, but the fan base have got to get behind that, Charlotte. I don't, yeah, I agree to a degree, I think. I don't think that the fan base think, I th- don't think that most, I, you know, I was like, oh, for God's sake, these refereeing decisions are shite. Like, this is terrible. But I was not saying these refereeing decisions are shite. They are the reason we are not winning games. Okay, what, sorry. But what a lot of people were saying is there a yeah. conspiracy against Newcastle United. Yes. I find that, like, objectionable. Is it a lot of people, though, or is it just a small <laughs> amount of loud people? Because I, I feel yeah. like it's the latter, and I feel like that is... I find it objectionable, too, and I don't think that's right. I don't think there is a conspiracy. You know, if there was a conspiracy, I find it difficult to believe we would have got these two games called off with, with for COVID and injuries and things like that. Um, I just... I. I, I do think that the fans are behind. You just have to sit in um, in St. James's Park or in any away end at the moment and just hear the noise. It is like nothing I've heard in years. It really isn't. Is or isn't. You know what I mean. Um, and I think we are. I think football fans are always going to be like, oh man, if that hadn't happened, this would, like, we might have won. Like, I just think that's in our nature. But I don't, I, I, I stop short of thinking most of us think that there is a big conspiracy against Newcastle United. Norman? I think you're looking at almost two decades of, of underachievement and limited ambition and being beaten to the point of ambivalence, beyond even anger, right, just to ambivalence. So, you know, when you're, when you're saying before about 
you know, at least we're not Leeds, at least we're not Sheffield, at least we're not Sunderland. It's going to take a while for many of us to move on from, well, at least it's not as bad as, to why aren't we as good as, you know, that it's, it's that switch, isn't it, from, you know, well, you know, at least we're not like, at least we're not sort of bottom six in the table, as opposed to why aren't we top four in the table? It's going to take a while for that culture change to come. And also that the point about maybe blaming referees, perhaps for the fact that we've lost games or we've drawn games or whatever, that that also ties into the, the two decades of, of underachievement because we've had Mike Ashley in charge for so long and all he did was make excuses for the reason that we weren't good. That's all he did. Um, so we ultimately want to start grasping at it for excuses ourselves. It's like, oh, well, oh, you know, we could have, we're just a bit unlucky there. We've got a bad decision of the ref. I, I reckon, I guarantee it in three years' time when we're, you know, looking towards the Champions League, when we're having, when we're having success, these little decisions are kind of against we like they probably won't matter in most games because we'll end up winning the game in any ways. And then the only games they'll really matter in are the games against the other top side. So it's just, I think it's just very reflective of, of the position that we've been in for such a long time is that we've almost got to the point where we just, we have to have someone to cling to, to, to blame for how bad we've been for so long. Um, and that's going to change once we, once we start getting massive amounts of success. I think you're both which right. We will, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're both right. We have to stay up first. I believe we will stay up first. Obviously, the uh, the Watford and Leeds games will tell us much. If it feels kind of strange sat here recording on the 3rd of January. We would have known much more about Newcastle's chances of survival had these two games gone ahead, but they didn't, and we'll move on. Hopefully, we'll see a lot of transfer activity this month. Hopefully, we'll stay up, and then we'll see this progression into a confident football club, um, sure of its place in the top 10 at least, of the English game uh, start to realise itself uh, in the well in next season and beyond. Nice chat with you guys today, Norman and Charlotte. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back uh, possibly with another podcast later on this week, uh, but definitely with a free pod after Cambridge United at home in the cup. It's nearly sold out. If you listen to this, if you do want to go, get yourself on the website now. Eleven pound for tickets. The club don't ask me to sell tickets. I just don't want people to like miss out. <laughs> Bothers me when people can't go to the game and want to go. Um, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Remember, we're on Patreon, £5.50 a month. No adverts on the free podcasts on there, and also lots more extra content. Speak to you all very soon. Ta-da. <laughs>